before you declare victory against something or someone, you might want to make sure it's real. Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits. Let me tell you a story from fairly early in my career working in intelligence in Canada. I joined Communication Security Establishment, or CSE, which is Canada's Signals Intelligence Agency, way back in 1983. For those of you who are young and maybe weren't around back then, 1983 was, of course, uh, a a time period in history where the Cold War was still raging. We didn't know it was almost the end of the Cold War. This was, of course, the epic battle between the West and the Soviet Union and its allies, which had been raging since the end of the Second World War. And pretty well, most of what CSE did as an organization, that is the collection, processing, and analysis of intelligence through signals, was linked to the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact. I was part of a very small team that did not do the Soviet Union. We looked, we were called the rest of the world, believe it or not. But for the most part, CSE, which was born during the Cold War in the late 1940s, was still a Cold War organization. What happened, of course, for those of you who are too young to remember or simply weren't alive, weren't even a twinkle in your parents' eye, was that in 1989, the wall fell. The Berlin Wall was dragged down by Germans on both sides of West and East Germany. And then two years later, the Soviet Union dissolved. It dissolved into its constituent republics, Russia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Kazakhstan, etc., etc., etc. Those of us at CSC uh, that worked the rest of the world, it was a very interesting time because the entire effort against the Soviet Union and its allies was now seen as superfluous. So it's no state secret to say that CSC had a large number of people who were proficient in the Russian language, as well as other languages spoken by the Soviet Union's allies in the Warsaw Pact, like Polish and Czech and Slovak and Bulgarian, etc. And the decision was made that since the Cold War was over and we won, that we didn't need to devote as much of an effort to monitor, well, Soviet signals. I mean, there was no more Soviet Union. So what are you guys doing for a living? What skill set can you apply to intelligence gathering? Is there a requirement to know what the Soviets are doing? No, because the Soviet Union isn't anymore. And if you remember back in the 1990s, there was talk that Russia might actually become an ally. It might go democratic. It might become an ally. So in our declaration of victory over the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact, we essentially down tools. We down tools against an enemy, an adversary, that we've been following for for almost 50 years. There was no need anymore to devote resources. There were no requirements anymore to think of what this ex-empire was doing. Yeah, the Russians still had nukes, but so did the Chinese. So there was that issue. But from a world dominance perspective, which was the lens to which the Cold War was seen, we all decided that that era was over and we could move on. And I remember very vividly that a lot of people who toiled for 20, 25, 30 years as Soviet specialists, many of whom were linguists, they were Russian language speakers, were essentially said, thank you for your service to queen and country. Now we're going to buy you off and we're going to pension you off. Now, a lot of them were all close to retirement anyway, but CSE decimated its Russian language capability. 
again because the requirement was seen to be fulfilled. There was no need anymore to maintain a stable of people with this skill set. Because, of course, we had won. Now, fast forward all these years later, Russia is not our friend. Certainly, uh, the Russia under Vladimir Putin is messing about in a lot of ways. We know that Russians are engaged in foreign interference operations, foreign influence operations, a lot of cyber attacks. And my question is, does CSE and its partners in Canada and around the world, do they have a robust Russian language capability to deal with that? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe they hired a whole bunch over the past couple of years. I have no idea. I have no insight into that. The point I'm trying to make here is that we declared victory against an opponent and it was rather short-sighted. That opponent didn't disappear. It simply morphed into something a little bit different. And the skill set and the knowledge of the people that we had in, in, our, in our back pockets for years that we employed against the, the, these individuals would have come in handy a few years later. But we decided to basically pension them all off. In other words, we declared victory prematurely. Now, you might think, why is this old guy talking about what happened in the 1990s? Because the same thing's happening right now. And more specifically, with respect to Islamic State. In 2019, former U.S. President Donald Trump decided that the Islamic State had been totally defeated. And it's true, the so-called caliphate was reduced to nothing. The territory which the terrorist group had controlled in Iraq and Syria had been returned to Syrian and Iraqi control, thanks to battles by Syrian forces, Iraqi forces, Kurdish forces, foreign forces as well. The Islamic State was simply not what it was at its height of 20, in 2014 when Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi declared the so-called caliphate. So we won. So it's time to down tools, right? Well, I would sincerely caution against another premature declaration of victory. If you follow me on Twitter, you follow these podcasts, you know that I'm reporting on a daily basis that Islamic State is carrying out attacks in Iraq and Syria. They are killing dozens, if not hundreds of people every month. And more worryingly, Islamic State has at least 20 affiliates around the world, some of which are even more brutal than the so-called mother group in Iraq and Syria, like Islamic State West African province, like Islamic State Central African province, Islamic State in the Sinai, Islamic State in Afghanistan, called Islamic State Khorasan. My concern is that in a desire to say we won and go home, that people may in fact decide to reallocate resources to something else. The same thing is probably happening in Afghanistan with the desire to remove the last U.S. troops from there who've been there for 20 years. I understand the desire to repatriate these troops. An awful lot of money, an awful lot of blood and treasure has been spent in Afghanistan. But just, just saying that Afghanistan is on its own, we can declare victory and go home, is a really, really bad idea. Because the day we leave is the day the Taliban takes complete control of Afghanistan and essentially recreates the Islamic Emirate, which it had declared in the 1990s. It's rarely a good idea to say we've won when the facts are against you. I'm not saying that we should devote uh, the same number of resources against the Russians we had against the Soviets back in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I don't think the resources exist to do that. But for groups like Islamic State, if we, if we fail to collect the intelligence, 
to monitor these, these groups, these individuals. I'm not saying the caliphate, the fake caliphate will get recreated, but we'll find ourselves in a very similar situation a year from now or two years or three years where Islamic State is carrying out atrocities, acts of terrorism, on the same scale it did way back in 2014. The lesson of the day is, don't declare premature victory. I'd like to recognize today the Renfrew Millionaires, a team way back in the early days of the NHL in 1917. A great name for a team, eh? the Renfrew Millionaires. Although I don't recognize I'm wearing a Pembroke Lumber, Lumber Kings hat, which was which is a bit of a, a rival. Um, Renfrew and, and, and Pembroke are neighbor towns sort of thing. Um, but of course, we have to leave you as well with the Hardy Boys Guide to Wisdom. This comes from the Hooded Hawk Mystery. Carrier pigeons are not entirely reliable modes of communication. They can be attacked by birds of prey or crash into planes, allowing secret messages to fall into the wrong hands. I respect that the Hardy Boys um, were written in a different era. But if anybody's relying on carrier pigeons to carry secret messages these days, you might want to find an alternative mode. There's a thing called the interweb or something like that where you can send secret messages. Anyhow, that's what I think. What do you think about declaring premature victory? Does it ever work? Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content, want to get, want to get it free to your inbox every day, simply subscribe. Go to the website, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. Fill in your email address. You get a free daily digest every morning. I also want to point out that there's a button there to buy my new book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present. It's self-published. So, so far, you only you can only get it from my website. And most importantly, I want to announce that there is now a live streaming Borealis. It's, it is Monday to Friday, weeknights at 8 p.m., where I talk about events of the day. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.